Welcome to Live Arts Market Pulse on the Artelligence Podcast. Each week, Live Arts sales team discusses the most important subjects in the ever-changing art marketplace. I'm your host, Marion Maneker. Welcome to another edition of the Live Art Market Pulse podcast. Uh, this week, we're recapping some of the sales in London for Freeze Week and getting a better sense of what uh, the whole week around London felt like from someone who is deeply involved both in Sotheby's own sales, but also getting uh, a sense of what collectors and consigners are most concerned about. Uh, And that's James Sevier, who works for Sotheby's. James, it's uh, great to have you joining the podcast. Great to be speaking with you. Thanks for inviting me. So I just want to start with some headline numbers, just so we have a frame of reference. Uh, we record at Live Art about $257 million worth of sales uh, in the auctions last week. Uh, that is a overall, um, you know, very strong number. I've seen other people sort of say it's the best number in seven years. Uh, I'm not sure if that's uh, necessarily correct, but it certainly is. It's a, it, it's a big number. More importantly, it, it, the sell-through rate on the lots was very strong. You guys all spent a lot of time managing these sales well, making sure that the sellers and the buyers meet and find a price that they're all comfortable with. with. We leave a lot less to chance in uh, auctions, but there weren't a ton of lots withdrawn. So the, the sell-through rate, and I have about 41% of the lots across all of the sales sold above the um, estimate range. That does suggest the one thing we were most concerned with, that the inevitable effect of the global macroeconomic shift would have some sort of a moment in the art market where there was some dislocation, hasn't really happened uh, yet, or at least here in uh, London, there was a, a surprising amount of uh, demand uh, for art and a lot of interest in buying it. So I thought before we talk about the sales specifically, uh, I try and get your sense, because I'm sure you met with a lot of people, you were at the fairs, uh, what you felt was going on last week in London. Well, I mean, it was a very busy week. Um, and it's been a very busy fortnight, really, for us since we went online with the catalogs. But particularly last week, there was a phenomenal amount of openings and exhibitions and energy and events. It was, it was at times overwhelming in terms of trying to juggle all the things going on every day throughout Freeze Week. Um, but really, there was a great sense of energy and excitement here in London. And probably for the first time since COVID, you know, since the, the last March sale we had at the beginning of 2020, which is the last time we really had a big volume of international collectors and the art, the art world coming to London. It was the first time that sense of excitement and energy has really returned to the city. And that was really tangible. I think I think it showed through in the results. And, you know, not just at the auctions, which, as as you touched upon, this was the biggest October season across the auction houses that there's ever been in terms of value. So that's one thing to note. This was the biggest season. It was also our biggest season at Sotheby's for October. And wandering around the art fairs, I think a lot of people had great weeks, you know, not just at Freeze, but at Freeze Masters as well. Obviously, it's dependent on material. And that, again, comes through in the auctions 
It's not all artists that are necessarily doing well now. Some markets are stronger than others. But I think overall, it was a very busy, very successful, very positive week for the market um, and for the London market. But obviously now we're looking ahead already to Paris, where it's Paris Plus opening on Wednesday and then auctions the following week. So it, it's it's been a great start to the fall season, following on from Hong Kong a couple of weeks before um, and again, looking ahead to New York. So the indications are that the market is very strong, very robust. It's selective like always it's not it's not a question of everything's always going to sell but as you as you pointed out the high sell-through rate not just in the evening sales but in the day sales also i think the day day sales often give in many respects a clearer barometer of where the market is than the evening sales which are as you say very carefully curated very carefully managed in terms of you know making ends meet between reserves and bids but the, the day sales we had our day sale on a saturday which we very rarely do and it was a packed room from beginning to end with deep bidding lots of absentee bidding lots of people bidding in the room and it, it was great to see that auction energy carrying on throughout the week and being here in london you said something to me last week uh about this feeling like the, you know, the opening up of the art market uh, in a way that people had tentatively come to various fairs or auctions, but this was the first one where everyone feels the pandemic itself isn't over, but, but the world seems to have figured out how to live with the pa pandemic. And certainly in the West, many more people are attending live uh, uh, events. And I thought you said something very interesting, which is the the pandemic uh, created this impression like that many of us were kind of shocked that so many people would buy art sight unseen or virtually. And that clearly was the case because a lot of art was sold in these hybrid uh, auctions. But it sounds like there's also a whole constituency of people who, you know, they want to see it. They need to be present to, to, to be inspired to actually make the purchase. And that those people were the ones who kind of come out this week um, to, to see what was available and in some ways get in on the action. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think we saw more people returning to the market both in person as well as online. We still had a lot of on online participation in the sales. Um, but there was certainly a lot of collectors who didn't travel during COVID, who didn't come to the auctions, who weren't going to art fairs. I mean, it, it's great to be in an auction room where people aren't wearing masks um, and great to be able to wander around the fair and recognize people because they're not wearing masks as well. So I, I really enjoyed both of those aspects. Um, and the, the volume, the visitor numbers at Sotheby's from the moment we opened on Saturday, you know, pre-freeze week, it was so busy. It was one of the busiest weekends I can remember for an auction viewing. And I hear the same at freeze. I mean, I, there were reports of queues round the block just to get into the fair for the very earliest slot. I think maybe too many people turning up for that earliest slot. But I think that it reflects the, the enthusiasm, the excitement. And also during the pandemic, I do think that the number of collectors active in this market has grown. I think a lot of people who weren't necessarily buyers weren't confident about necessarily stepping into an art fair or stepping into an auction. They've, they've grown familiar with the art market online first, and now they're showing up in person. Um, so I think we've, we've added more collectors to the market than we had before. 
it's like poker players who learn to play online and then go and uh, and because they've become adept, actually want to do uh, uh, you know go to a casino and play in a, a live game. Yeah. So I, I, the, the, there, were, there were lots of people in London, and that was, that was really visible from from the, the start of the week through to the end. And and it wasn't a case of people leaving halfway through. It was busy right up until yesterday afternoon when I went back to Freeze Masters, and there were so many people there. It was great to see. No, that is that's that's wonderful to hear. Uh, and what's the composition, both the anecdotal of people you're running into, but also from the sales? I think many people assumed that. Uh, Asian buyers would somewhat, um, you know, uh, pull in their horns given some of the uh, uh, things that have been happening in Asia the last uh, few months, years even. And uh, uh, instead, we saw some prominent bidding from uh, specialists uh, with telephone clients uh, who usually represent Asian clients. They could have been representing anyone. And I I was curious to hear from you, is is it sort of this fairly evenly balanced market between North Americans, Europeans, and Asians? Or or is there one sort of dominant group? What's your feel for it? Um, Well, there's been a lot of talk about currencies and also whether we were going to see particular activity from you know a certain geography this season but actually what's interesting when you look at I, I can only speak for Sotheby's of course and people who I've spoken to throughout the week at the fairs but when you look at our sales we had exactly the same proportional buyers from the UK, the US, Europe and Asia there, there was no significant shift either way and I, and I think that my takeaway is that collectors are less looking at the currency, they're more looking at the object and the, the relative value, quality, freshness, and opportunity that each object represents. And are consigners uh, adjusting their expectations based on currency, or it's simply, you know, uh, because that's a, that would be a legitimate place to do it, right? If you know that um, in pounds it would be cheap, effectively cheaper than in another currency, you would set your estimate or your reserve at a, a spot which would be more in in tune with the global market, since many of these artists sell in all three uh, auction centers. Yeah, I mean. It, it- I think that's that is a fair point. It is more of a discussion with consigners than buyers. Um, I think the the global currency of the art market is US dollars, um, but we always price for our auctions here in pounds. But yeah, I mean, there was there was a conversation with consigners regarding the conversion rate going into the sales. And in certain cases, there was a reason if we'd price something, you know, particularly conservatively or to generate, you know, maximum interest that consigners did want to maybe slightly adjust the pound estimate. But there was an overwhelming sense that people people were trusting in our ability to sell the works well for them. It didn't really matter whether there was a shift in currency. And I think as as a seller, people saw that often the sellers are denominated in pounds anyway, so it doesn't make a big difference to them. And if they're not, they saw that actually the shift in currency was likely going to benefit them from having more participants bidding, registering, 
registering and, and being active on these lots. And that's what we saw. You also mentioned uh, something similar, not currency based, but the, the you know, there is a Richter cloud study that sold for a price almost exactly the same as the cloud study you guys had sold um, three, four months ago uh, in, in late June. And, and it, it sort of brings that up, which is, you know, you can estimate anywhere you like the, the, and, and if you're estimating to attract, uh, uh, buyers or bidders, you're necessarily pushing the estimate down and taking the, the risk, but assuming that everything will reach its equilibrium and that the market participants will know what recent prices are and bid towards that level. And, and the Richter seems to be a good example. Uh, of that. Absolutely. I mean, we sold a beautiful Richter cloud painting in, in June, and there's only one other in that scale, and that was offered just now uh, at Christie's in October. And the two paintings made identical prices. Whilst being very different paintings, it was the only other opportunity to buy a Richter cloud painting in that scale. And the yeah. market responded in, in exactly the same way it did in June. I, I will point out, though, uh, there was a, a reverse version at much lower level. I mean, these were, uh, uh, was that the clouds were $20 million, $12 million, so, somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but that they sold for around $12 million, right, the, the clouds. Much lower on the scale, at about 550, 560,000 pounds, there were two Hearst spot paintings that, again, they were 10,000 pounds apart in the, 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 the bidding, uh, but they, one was massive, fifteen foot wide painting, and the other was not a small painting by any means, but not not you know half, maybe a third of the size uh, uh, of that. And you know that's probably uh, specific to the Hearst market and all. But I thought that was interesting too that that these sort of spot paintings should land in the same uh, uh, place. And I wasn't sure if you had any you know either insights or observations about that? Um, well, I can only speak for the painting that we had that I, I was a real fan of. It was one of his earliest spot paintings. Um, and I think early spot paintings like that are particularly rare. Um, I, the fact that they made a similar price, one being more than double the size, I think also points to people wanting to live with art. Um, and a smaller painting doesn't necessarily mean that it is worth less. Actually, though, Going back to the Richter clouds again, uh, the Richter cloud paintings were relatively small compared to the larger series of clouds, but it's actually their domestic scale that made them so sought after and desirable by many collectors. You know, pe people want to be able to have the best examples they can by artists, but it's not always it's not always about size; it's about quality. Well, and and that. The domestic aspect of that uh, uh, painting uh, surely adds to its appeal. I guess what I was sort of more getting at is uh, it, it seems like there is an enduring market for spot paintings. There will always be, since there's so many different types of them, there will always be uh, a market within that about scale and size and uh, colors and date and so, so forth. But I, I guess it was one of those impressive sides. The, the other... Um, Hearst work that did surprisingly well was a butterfly wing um, 
you know, uh, painting. I don't think it was a stained glass, but it was a round uh, 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 work. And so, you know, uh, he's a very familiar artist. He gets beaten up a lot. Uh, but, you know, here, here there is a real, uh, you know, competition for his work in specific parts of his market. Yeah, I mean, Dam Damien Hirst is one of the most important artists of the 20th century or the latter 20th century. And, and, he, and he's continuing to make important, challenging work. Um, he's hugely successful, very prolific, as we all know. But I think his spot paintings are probably his most iconic works. Obviously, you've got the, the sharks and the formaldehyde sculptures. But to me, the spot paintings really embody Damien Hirst more than any other series he's made. And so when you get important works from that series coming up, to me, it's no surprise that they are, you know, find, finding buyers in any market, because I do think that he is a hugely important artist. And I think that they actually look relatively undervalued when you look at prices being achieved by lesser known artists who... I don't know, maybe don't deserve to be achieving the same prices that Damien Hirst spot paintings do. Yeah. To, to switch gears, uh, speaking of artists who maybe deserve more or getting quietly more attention, you know, you had a big um, David Hockney sale. But there were also a number of other Hockney works that sold and, and have sold at, at sort of recently at other times that I've, I think have been, you know, outperforming people's expectations uh, in the market. And I just thought that this because you that early morning send Maxime uh, uh, painting did so well, that might be a, a good occasion to look a little bit or, or talk a little bit about what uh, is taking place in his market. Um, well, obviously, that, that was at Christie's, the early morning Saint Maxime yep. painting, and that did very well. Um, it was a painting that was much admired from the moment it was announced, and it embodied what collectors and, you know, the, the public really love about Hockney's work, which is his use of colour, uh, his sense of his, his handling of paint, the flatness of the image. Um, but he, his market remains extremely strong. He's one of the most popular sought after living artists from all aspects of his career. Um, but it's particularly when he's painting with bold colors, painting landscapes, the way he captures light is unique. Um, and I think that painting achieved an extremely strong price, seemingly, you know, to you know, attracting two Asian bidders who really can afford it out to the end. Um, we also had a very beautiful work by David Hockney, a, a mid-80s landscape that, that, again, performed well. I think it had last been at auction more than a decade before, and it represented a really, really strong return on what the collector had previously paid for it then. But Hockney's work remains in demand. It's Yes, there are kind of certain images that really capture people's attention, and the early morning Saint Maxime was one of those images. It was extremely photogenic. It was beautifully painted. It, had that kind of wonderful Hockney uh, description of water that people know and love in his work so much. And it, and it felt like a very special object seeing it. And it really was. So I think that the price it achieved, whilst it was significantly above the estimate, it shouldn't be a surprise that a painting of that quality from that period uh, attracted the attention from some of the world's top collectors. I actually, it wasn't so much the estimates because Again, the you know a, a estimates are are, are a marketing uh, tool, uh, and they're part of uh, what you guys do do, and we can't always go by estimates. I think it was more that, you know, it was a fairly unique color palette 
for Hockney, or at least not as some of the better known uh, works, either the later works or the er early works. And I thought it was interesting in in that sense that you didn't really associate it with other works so uh, uh, clearly uh, that it got so much um, uh, uh, demand. I mean, uh, look, I'd love to hear a little bit about the story of the Frank Auerbach uh, 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 as well, because that was, uh, you know, I, you know, from the outside, it, it uh, seemed like a bit of surprise, and I was curious to is it that particular object, the, you know, that paint, painting, or are there other things going on around Auerbach and his market? Um, there's definitely something going on with Auerbach and his market. You can feel it when you when you speak to collectors and dealers who are familiar with the artist's work, particularly when you go around fairs here in London. There's there's a lot of talk about Auerbach's market because he's you know he's one of the most highly regarded um, British artists, but living artists as well. And I think there's a real sense that his prices are below where they should be when you compare him to his contemporaries Francis Bacon and Lucien Freud. Auerbach, in my mind, is as good as those other two artists, and his prices are way below. But what we saw with the Auerbach we sold last week was we saw one of his true masterpieces coming to market. And I know that um, it may have just felt like another Auerbach portrait, but when you go when you go through the catalogue resume and when you really study the artist's work in depth, it belongs to probably the best period of the artist's work in terms of his portraiture. It's of his most iconic, you know, most sought after sitter, JYM. But with, with Auerbach, it's it's more than just the sitter and the date. It's it's how the painting comes together in that particular moment. And I'm not sure if you've got an opportunity to stand in front of that painting in, in person. But even, even collectors who aren't familiar or aren't huge kind of fans of Auerbach's work, everyone who saw it realized this was you're in the presence of a very special object. It kind of it sat at a different level to all the other Auerbach portraits, or most of the other Auerbach portraits that I've ever seen coming to market. And you could really say with the greatest certainty, this is one of the artist's very best works that we're able to have in our rooms here. And to be able to have one of those works by such an important artist at a price, albeit, you know, it was a, it was a strong estimate for our back, but to be able to acquire the best of any artist of such importance and standing for the price that it fetched in the in the sale room last week is is a very rare opportunity. I can't see a painting of that quality by the artist coming to market for a very long time. Well, I have noticed over the years these hourbacks come and go, rarely, you know, actually breaking out. It's clear that there's a constituency, but it never gels in the way to sort of uh, equalize his prices. And I, it seems like it's only a matter of time. And I guess part of this is we keep moving uh, uh, other related artists uh, uh, markets up. You know, it's a, Hockney is a diff- very different sort of artist, but as his market advances, it again makes this sort of sense of like, you've got Freud and Bacon on one side, Hockney on, on the uh, uh, other. These these artists are roughly, you know, grouped together because of um, where they're fr- from. Eventually that's going to have some uh, effect. And so uh, exactly, I couldn't tell whether this was object specific or, or sort of part of that market. Uh, um... it, it, it was object specific and actually it followed on the back of us achieving a new record price for our back in June, which was the ex David Bowie painting that made a record when that was offered as well. So it, it really is object specific, but we've been handling with the Bowie painting and now this one, we've been handling the very, very highest quality of objects by the artist. 
And I think that's shone through in the in the prices they've been achieving. But but there's also been these two other trends of of British modernism. Uh, specific artists, you know, somewhat getting their markets advancing as people sort of say, you know, these are very high quality artists, not necessarily as sought after internationally, but are they at the same level as other artists who are sought after internationally and people moving into those markets and that sort of celebrity effect of, um, you know, Bowie's, you know, own taste and connoisseurship. And it's kind of hard to tease those uh, threads out, which which is uh, driving those things. Speaking on a similar sort of line, uh, you guys, it, it, you guys, and everyone else seem to do quite well with Bridget Riley works, and I, I, it seems to be happening a little bit below the radar. And I was sort of curious. Again, I know there's this great show here um, at Yale, but is is a, that you know she has a, a big show? She's had a big uh, a, a birthday recently. I mean, is is it just that kind of attention, or is it the the work coming to market? Um. I think with Bridget Riley, she's always had strong international interest. So she's very clearly most popular here in the UK. But if you look at where the paintings have been bought and the various museums where they reside around the world, there's strong Asian interest in her work, there's strong American representation as well. Um, and when you look at the catalogue resume, there's very few paintings by Bridget Riley in the market. Um, yes, we've been seeing paintings coming to market with relative frequency recently, but she's always at the very top of our wish list for every auction that we have coming up because she's extremely popular, she's global. Um, and I think the, the quality of her work is, is extraordinary. Um, so we've been very lucky to have the painting we had in our sale, which was the first time we've had a small work from that series coming to auction. And I think that collectors really responded to the quality, the rarity. It was a little bit like the Richter Cloudscape in a way. Um, you know, it, it was a smaller version of a much loved series by her. And to, to be able to get something on a domestic scale from that very much loved series, it was a rare opportunity. But yeah, they, her market is rising steadily upwards. I think it would be very interesting to see her work being sold in the US as, as much as Europe, because we, we've got strong American interest in her work from American collectors. I think to sell it alongside American minimalism, um, you know, seeing her work side by side with Agnes Martin would be wonderful. You, you put your finger on something that I had noticed during the sale, and I thought uh, is at least worth discussing. Uh, you're, you're right, the Riley, it's a very strong price for a smaller work. So relative to the other works, it's actually uh, uh, the, 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 the headline number isn't as important as the number for that size of painting. But the same is also true of the Cecily Brown that you opened the sale with. with. Uh, you know, same sort of thing, familiar artists, different scale of work, very strong price for work at that uh, uh, scale. Is that, uh, again, just, it's very hard to get a hold of, or the prices are so high for the larger works, so people are now beginning to focus on these high quality um, images, or is it just image, you know, the, the execution of this work is, is uh, uh, such that people are willing to compete for it? I think the Cecily Brown was a particularly strong example. Uh, the best colors by her had everything you want from Cecily Brown without being too sexually graphic. Um, and it was competed for by some of the very, very top collectors of her work who collect her in depth as well. So it was a very easy image on a domestic scale that had 
the full impact and force that you get in some of her larger paintings. Yes, that is the the, the lurking issue with the uh, Cecily Brown is the abstract paintings that aren't necessarily abstract. Um, so uh, to shift gears again somewhat, uh, uh, you guys set a record for Caroline Walker, you know, 45 minutes after uh, Phillips had set a record and you slightly advanced uh, uh, her market. The, the paintings are not dissimilar in just the sense that they were sort of night scenes. And I know, I mean, this, this, the buildup of her sales has been taking place now for, I guess, a year. Uh, so I, I'm assuming this is not so much the culmination, but maybe, you know, the, the next rung up in her market. But I thought uh, if you could sort of talk us through a little bit what's going on in the Caroline Walker market. Um, well, it was great to see some really strong works by her coming to the market. Um, and great to see the strong performance of, I haven't studied all of the results, but I do, I can speak for the two that we sold and then the one that Philip sold as well. So both from the same series, ours being again, slightly more domestic in scale. And I think that maybe that's why it fetched a slightly higher price because it, it wasn't as wide. You could, you could easily accommodate it within the interior. Um, but I think that she's a great painter. I think she's getting the recognition she deserves. And as you say, I think this is the next rung up in terms of where her market is heading. Um, and I felt that when we had some, or when there was some strong paintings on the market in June, I think there was one that appeared at Christie's, which was a beautiful painting, it didn't take off. And it was very surprising as to why such a great painting by her didn't make the price that everyone was expecting to, because already there was a lot of buzz and excitement about her work. And, uh, you know, there'd been a great show at various galleries. So I think finally, we're starting to see the demand, the excitement, the quality of her work coming through at auction. Um, after a rather unsteady start in June, and it was really good to see the prices rising up and for the work being competed and also going into collections um, where it's being shown alongside other great figurative female artists. I don't have much more time with you. So let's look forward and uh, I'll give you sort of a choice or, or you can t discuss both. But from these sales, what does that sort of direct you either in your upcoming sales in uh, November here in New York or, you know, in the market for, you know, uh, 2023? It doesn't have to be the Caroline Walker levels, but, you know, what responses did you see in these sales that make you think, here's something I need to pay attention to, or this will really um, should set up our sales in, in New York better? Well, the, the sales in New York are now effectively closed. Um, they're signing off on the catalogs, the shipment is all now underway. So they, there's going to be very little that happened last week, either at the fair or at the auctions, that dictates the content of the November sales. There'll obviously be some crossover, as we'll see, um, and there's already been various highlights unveiled throughout last week, and we'll see more highlights being unveiled this week going into the next week's. Um, but yeah, I, I think after every auction, we do have that reassessment of each artist's market and looking at the depth of bidders. You know, what, why did this work achieve this price? Whereas that work, which we're expecting, maybe didn't take off in the same way, which it, it might have done a year ago. Um, the, the young contemporary market does move very fast, as you know. Um, but I think that looking across 
all of the auctions, looking at the fairs as well, I think it comes down to the same same factors, which is quality within each artist's market, freshness, and and of course value. Um, you know, has something been attractively priced, or is that a pushed estimate? Um, you know, we had a work by Julian Nguyen for the first time in our auction, lot one of the now set. I think that had 14 bidders on it. Um, so that's obviously going to be an artist who we will be hopefully seeing more of, not just in New York, but again, going into next year with the sales in London. Um, but it was a particularly strong week for female artists at auction as well. Um, yeah. if, if you look at both sales, nearly all of the works by female artists outperformed. I think they all fetched their high estimate or above. No, it looks like the market is still doing the things that everyone kind of predicted were going to fade, right? The, the, Conventional wisdom is that when uh, financial markets get rocky, people gravitate towards, you know, quote unquote, quality, uh, uh, things that are of a long standing value and reputation. And that makes sense. It, that may still happen and, and it may also be happening at the same time. But the appetite for a lot of younger artists or newer names seems, uh, at least this last week, to be very strong. And I think that's the part that people were um, somewhat, you know, alive to, wanted to see if that would be the case. When you look at the most bid upon, you know, the lots that were bid highest above their estimates, it's a it's a, a, a bunch of different names and they're mostly uh, artists without, you know, uh, long track records, which is a good sign. It means that that's what um, collectors are out there looking for, especially when they're still uh, strong bidding for, valuable objects, you know, like the Richters and Bacons of the world, uh, you know, that, that sort of keep the market going. So I guess the rumors of the death of the art market uh, are greatly exaggerated, at least uh, on the basis of October uh, 2022. It, it very much seems that way. Um, and it, it's been a very, very strong week, not just here at the auctions, but at the fairs. And I think that there's that similar sense of excitement and optimism going into Paris now and the auctions we've got there and then looking ahead to New York. So it's it's going to be a very busy couple of months closing out the end of the year. But I think what we've seen has been really reassuring and certainly in our minds and I think in the market has kind of calmed those fears about talk of a downturn in the market. Perfect place to close. James, thank you so much for taking the time with me. Thank you so much. Great speaking with you, Marianne. Thank you for joining us for Live Art's Market Pulse. The Artelligence podcast is edited by Colin Ketchum, who also composed the original music. Come back next week, and don't forget to download the Live Art app or visit us at liveart.io. 